0: Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Matthew Harfy, author of the new novel, A Time for Swords. Harfy has written many historical novels, including The Cross and the Curse, The Serpent Sword, and many others. Matthew Harfy, welcome to the podcast. Oh, Thank you, Jeff. It's um, great to be here. Great. Well, if someone hasn't heard about your new novel yet, how would you describe A Time for Swords? Well,
1: and a Time for Swords is the first book in a new series, and um, it's set in AD 793, which um, any Vikings fans out there will know is the date of the first attack on Lindisfarne, the Holy Island, on the east northeast coast of, of Britain, and by the Vikings, and they came along and um, yeah, you pillaged, raped and pillaged, and did their thing and it sort of kicked off what is commonly known as the Viking Age. Um, so the story uh, of this, of uh, Time for Swords is um, written from the perspective of a monk who's actually there on the day that the attack happens. He's a young man there, and he, he's writing the book as an old man looking back on his life. And um, he, uh, he realises, uh, strangely, that when when the attack happens and he sees all this destruction around and nobody was expecting, you know, an attack or anything, and, um, different things happen and he uh, he realizes that he's not gonna die and um and run away like the rest of the people. He's actually gonna turn around and fight. Um and so he discovers something within him um that that is triggered by the events and um yeah and he stands and, and fights and the rest of the of the uh, of the book is recounting um, his defence, or his, you know, what, what, the aftermath, the immediate aftermath of that battle, and how he uh, convinces um, the king of Northumbria there's going to be future attacks, and how he rallies um, a, a, a motley crew of warriors around him to protect um, his own home monastery, which is actually um, not Lindisfarne. He's he's travelling to Lindisfarne. He's actually from a, another. Um, Another monastery, uh, south in Northumbria called, um, Walkworth is all, is, is, the modern name of the place. And actually it's a real place, but it's a fictional monastery. I've, I've created a monastery there that didn't really exist, but I mean, he's convinced for different reasons, um, which are apparent in the book that there's going to be another attack. Um, so he, he creates this, uh, a, a defense ready. Um, yeah. And that's it.
0: Really. Great. And, and do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write A Time for Swords? Uh, yes.
1: Well, so I've written other books, as you mentioned, that are set in the early Anglo-Saxon period. Um, so a couple of hundred years before um, A Time for Swords. Um, and and those um, stories are before the Vikings, but they're, they're much much of the story takes place in the same area. So I've been interested in lindisfarne and that whole area and i think one day i just had this this thought of yeah you, know, you, you often i've read quite a few historical fiction or stories that are that are written by a monk looking back on his life or by an old man looking back on his life and and sometimes it's a it's a warrior that's become a monk you know as a, as an older man and um, i don't know when he when he's too old to fight i guess and he's then sort of recounting his stories i've read that a couple of times um, and I thought, you know, how about having a young monk that becomes a warrior? And I thought, yeah, how about you know what what happened? What would happen if um, the, the monks that day hadn't just been slaughtered by the Vikings, but actually turned around and, and, and defended them? And then I didn't want to uh, to make it completely uh, fantasy, so I had to then sort of think of what I could do to to, to create the story in the real timeline. And, um, and not have the monks at Lindisfarne turn around and you know destroy the 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 Vikings and, and send them packing, but actually, you know, what what happened next and there were future attacks. So I've created this fictional um place for a secondary attack. And um you you know listening to the to the storyline you might sort of realize that um there's similarities with other classic stories as well. So really as I started writing um my my love of westerns and the magnificent seven <laughs> and, um, Seven Samurai, the, the Akira Kura Samurai movie, exactly. Seven Samurai started to come into my mind. And I thought, yeah, why not have this sort of story of getting the small motley band together to defend against a much superior force? Um, I'm also a, a massive fan of David Gemmell, the fantasy um, yes. writer. And the, his first story in my favorite of his books is, is The Legend, which features Druss, and um, the old warrior who, <laughs> is part of the of a smaller army that defend against a much, much larger army and defends this, this castle. And so I thought, you know, so all these things in the back of my mind, and um, the more I wrote, the more I thought it would be a great, interesting um, take on it. And so I've sort of, um, then I decided that because there's all the different um, people in the land of, uh, of Britain at the time, you've got, you've got Welsh, you've got the, the Anglo-Saxons, you've got um, Picts, you've got, of course, uh, from Ireland, you've got the Irish. So I, so I thought, you yeah, know, why not? You know, I was, I was all, almost thinking like the old in Britain, we have very common jokes, which are probably very non politically correct nowadays, but they used to be very common when I was a kid, which was you've got an Englishman, an Irishman, a Scotsman. <laughs> you, you tell the, 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 the joke about each one of the, 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 the people, and they would have some sort of uh, um, stereotypical response to, to, to whatever happens in the joke. And I sort of got this thing thinking i thought you know why don't i get this band and have you know picked um uh from from scotland and and irishman and northumbrian and and, and put them all together so i've got this sort of motley crew and band of of people and there's a viking in there as well so one of the vikings that um that's in the original attack for for different reasons ends up shipwrecked or you know abandoned not shipwrecked but abandoned um in lindisfarne he he manages to keep his to keep alive and um and who's the main character convinces the Northumbrians not to kill him and um, and uh, it, it ends up getting him on side and um, defending him against the, the secondary attacks so and he've got this this group of a small number of, of warriors which may may or may not number seven at some point I think
0: <laughs> well what was your writing journey that led you to writing and getting your first novel published okay so I started writing the very first book so the
1: first book is the first book of uh the benicia chronicles which is the long series that i've got it's still ongoing i haven't Mm -hmm. finished that one and that's the one that starts in 633 and the first book is um called the serpent sword and i started writing that back in 2001 and the catalyst for that really was kind of i just happened i don't know i mean i've always been interested in 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 fantasy novels as i mentioned historical fiction action adventure sort of stories and i I lived for a few years as a child i lived on the northeast coast of um, of england in northumberland which i you know i loved i always remember really fondly and i loved the the landscape and and all the ruined castles and everything and it it has a real important place in my in my you know my, my story and i and i watched. I, mean, I was I was alone in the house. Or I think I think a little daughter was asleep, and my wife was out working late. And I, and I was watching a, a, a documentary, and it talked about how um, Northumbria in the seventh century, eighth century in Britain was an incredibly important kingdom. And I had no idea. I'd lived there for a few years as a child, as I said, and I had no idea. And it sort of it talked about the fact that really for for a couple of hundred years, or at least a hundred and fifty years or so. Um, Northumbria was, you know, one of the most important kingdoms in Europe, you know, which was basically the known world at the time, um, and it was incredible. And so I didn't know anything about this, and straight away after watching this um, this documentary, I went upstairs and turned the, the old computer on I had at the time and started to write, and um, what turned into the Serpent Sword. Obviously, <laughs> I didn't um, finish it very quickly, and uh, <laughs> I didn't actually manage to publish it until. 2015, I think <laughs> I published that one. So uh, that took a while, but I put it away for a long time in the me- in the in the middle. Um, I got really you know, disheartened <laughs> by just seeing other books coming out that I thought were very similar. Um, and uh, the Last Kingdom came out for <laughs> Bernard Cornwell. It was set in the same sort of place a couple of hundred years later. And I just I thought, oh, you know one's going to think I have copied him. So I'm, I put it aside. And then later on, I, I realized that you know if I couldn't traditionally publish, I could self-publish and. I ended up self-publishing The serpent Sword. I got an agent, but he couldn't sell it. I then ended up self-publishing it, and it sold quite well. Then, strangely enough, when you manage to self-publish something and sell quite a few copies, then publishers are interested. So then I got traditionally published, um, and uh, I took that decision to go traditional. Um, and since then, I've been traditionally published with uh, Head of Zeus, is the, is the publisher, it's, uh, an independent publisher in the UK.
0: Right. And, and so what was the um, research process for researching the Viking era for a time of swords? Okay, so, um, well, as I say, I've done lots of
1: research about the Anglo-Saxon, British Anglo-Saxon period of a couple of hundred years before. And um, one of the things that I didn't want to do was jump to a completely different time frame that would um, necessitate doing a massive amount of research. So I naively, I think, at the time thought, well, if I just move a couple of hundred years later, you know, it's all the same. It's just Anglo-Saxons <laughs> and Vikings, it'd be fine. And so I, so I sort of, uh, that was my initial thinking. And then, of course, the more and more, I, the more I've started, the more I've written, you know, I've finished Time for Swords, I'm writing the sequel now. And and I realized that um, there's so much I, d- I don't know about the period. So um, I've written most of the Time for Swords and all of the sequels so far during the pandemic. So. My research has been um, it's books, YouTube, and um, oh, yeah, in, um, using the internet for you know, Google searching and watching YouTube videos of um, of people sailing and going around different places. And because now in the second book, um, it, well, he comes at no surprise. I said he's uh, Hunlaff is the narrator, so you know he survives the end of the first book. Um, but uh, at the end of, of in the second book, he's um, he's heading out across the sea. Actually, to the land of the Vikings, to Norway, which of course I know nothing about, and I've never been to Norway, so <laughs> so now I'm I'm having to um, to do lots of research, as I say, by by you know, Google Earth and and um, I've got the rough guide to Norway you know, and things like that. So I'm actually just reading everything I can about about the place they're going, and one of the best things actually is, as I say, is watching YouTube videos to get an idea of what it's like on the ground and see people walking around some of the places that we're trying to I'm you know, trying to emulate, and of course things. Casting my mind back a thousand plus years and trying to right. work out what it would have been like then, and there's not a huge amount written um, uh, about the time in Britain or in Norway at the time. You know, when you start looking at the history, lots of the detailed history of the Vikings that's written down comes much later. It was written down um, two or three, four hundred years after the events, and so it's quite nebulous. So, right, one of the reasons why it's great, and well, it's like a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword but i you know partly it's great to write about what's commonly known as the dark ages or the early medieval period is that there are so many gaps in our knowledge that it allows you know lots of stories to be kind of yeah. made up and and you know pushed into the gaps that, that, Sure. That, 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 yeah that nobody nobody could say you're 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 wrong as long as you you stick to to what is known gotcha and i'm so yeah
0: well, you it's mentioned difficult. David Gimmel's novel Legend. Are, are there yep. other authors and books that have kind of inspired your own writing along the way? Um, yeah, there's lots. Of, I
1: mentioned Bernard Cornwell as well. Obviously, Bernard Cornwell is a is a big influence. In fact, I mean, it was when he brought out the Last Kingdom, and which is now TV series, and it's a long running. It's, it's finished now. It's a long series of books um, about the Viking and Anglo-Saxon period. That was after I'd started writing the, the Benicia Chronicles, as I said. But the, the books that really inspired me, I think, to actually start writing the Benicia Chronicles were, um, the three Arthurian novels that, um, Bernard Cornwell wrote in the nineties. And I'd love those. The first one is called The Winter King and they're very real, realistic. They're set in, in the end of the, after the Romans have left before the, the Vikings in that that's sort a of really dark period. When there it, when it isn't very much written history at all, and he just tells a fantastic retelling of the Arthur of the Arthurian legends based in sort of a historical reality, if you like. I mean, so there's Merlin and there's all the characters you'd expect, but um, you know everyone believes in magic and they believe in yeah uh, you know, they believe that Merlin's a, a wizard and stuff. But but it's never overt in the story. It's never really said that you know you, you you get the feeling that actually it's you know it it's just the real world and he's just a very clever man. Um Who manages to convince people that he's you know, blessed by the gods and things like that so it's um so that was probably one of the biggest inspirations um and another author, con eagledon um who's got lots of historical fiction novels um he wrote and he's, a, he's also a huge fan of David Gemmel and um he's written a series about uh, Julius Caesar and another series about Genghis Khan. Um, and I'm uh, reading really one of his books actually, an, an advanced copy, and um, called Protector um, by Colin golden and he uh, yeah, that's set in ancient um, Greece, and that's around the Battle of Plataea. So yeah, there's um, lots of lots of great historical fiction authors. Um, just think of another one, Justin Hill, who's um, another great writer who's written a book called Shield Wall um, and Viking Fire, set in the 11th century, and and uh, he's he's a fantastic writer. Great. Um,
0: I was curious about your writing process. You you talked about when you initially watched that documentary and then lit up and turned on your computer and started writing. Do you, um when you do have an idea, do you normally sit down and plot um the novel or do you just kind of try to dive into the story and see where it leads you? Yeah, so, um, I, so the short answer is I,
1: I tried to plot, but I plot at a very sort of high level. So you're almost at the... Well, sort of at the at the chapter, like a few lines for a chapter really, that sort of level. Um, so that when I do get to the t- to that part of the story, things will have evolved and if there's enough scope for me to um to flesh things out and to sort of go where the story takes me to some extent, but I kind of know, you know, where the end point is and I I try to know what the end point is with each chapter and each scene. Um, but I, I'm trying to think if, if right back at the beginning I wrote about like that, I'm not really sure. I think at the very beginning it was a bit more um, fluid. And so, that's probably why it took me so long. <laughs> but now, now I've worked out that it's actually a lot better if I focus some sort of planning, you know, I know where I'm going, but um, with these, with the, the Time for Source, the sequel, and because they go, it's going to Norway and I've not been able to to to, to to actually get out and, you know, visit any of the places I'm writing about. I found it more difficult and I don't know if it's partly because uh, of the pandemic and and stuff, but maybe, maybe I found it more difficult to plan, you know, I'm sort of planning and thinking I know where I'm going and I get down to sit down and think, Oh, what's happening next? And I maybe haven't done as much planning as I, as I should have done.
0: But that's true. So what writing advice would you offer for those who are listening, who are working on their own stories and novels? Um, one of the pieces of advice
1: that one, one of the most important pieces of advice, I think, is to finish what you start. And I think there are many, many people out there who, who say, you know, I could write a novel. I want to write a book. You know? And I'd never written a novel before the Serpent Sword. I've written, I'd often, two or three times in my life, I, you know, I would sit down and think, Oh, I've got a great idea. And I'd start writing. I'd write three or four pages. Um, and then that's it. And then you just sort of run out of steam and could never sort of write anymore. And um yeah, I think by planning the whole novel from beginning to end, just to even at a high level, you give yourself the more of a chance, I think, of completing it. But I think really it's that finishing the book. I think that's the most important thing, really. I mean, they say you write every day. I don't think you need to write every day, but I think you need to write frequently. And I think you need to sit down and actually spend the time. And even if you only write you know, set yourself goals per week that you think are doable. Um, and you know, that could be a thousand words a week or 2000 words a week. But I mean, if you do 2000 words a week and a novel's about a hundred thousand words, then, you know, 50 weeks in a year, you finished a novel, right? So you can, you can, you can finish a novel quite re- relatively quickly. If you sit down and, and force yourself to, to actually write, even when it's difficult, but if you don't finish a novel, you're never going to get published. So I think that's the important thing is that if you sit down to write something, finish it, then you can publish it. If you sit down and write and never finish anything, you're never going to get it published. So that's it. Gotcha. Um,
0: So I I wasn't sure if you said earlier, have you already finished the sequel to A Time for Swords?
1: I haven't finished it. No, I'm writing at the moment. It's okay. as yet untitled. I'm about 80,000 words. I've worked on about 10 minutes before speaking to you. So That's I was, it. um, I am about 80,000 words in, um, which should be sort of rounding up, you know, sort of building up towards the end of the story, but I'm not. So I think it's going to be quite long. <laughs> so I'm thinking it's going to be, I normally aim for a hundred thousand and overshoot this one. I think i am definitely going to overshoot by quite a lot. Um, but A Time for Swords was about 150,000 words, and I think this one's going to be the same, or maybe even even slightly longer, perhaps.
0: And so do you uh, think there will be others beyond just two? Um, yes, I think so. Um, I haven't got them all mapped out.
1: I think maybe that's one of the things I should do when I'm doing a series, but I but I haven't. Uh, and And it's sort of, I think that's part of what's come to bite me doing the sequel to this one, is trying to yeah you know, to make sure that I tie in some of the things that I, I've mentioned in the first book, because one of the things I do in the first book it's written it's the, it's the first book I've written in first person, as well all time for swords, which is one of the things that also i'm with each book I try to do something a bit different to make it interesting for me and I thought, well, I'll try and write this one in first person um which which is a real challenge it's a, it's a real different challenge, but one of the things that I've done because it's an old man looking back. I decided, um, and I, I don't know if I decided or just did it a bit, and then my editor said, you know, do more of that. But, but in the end, there's, um, there's quite a few references to things that, happen, that are going to happen in his life. You know, so he says, you know, he, he mentions right from the beginning that he travels all over the world, that he goes to Constantinople and, um, and Rome, and, you know, he mentions later that he was shipwrecked off of Africa or something, I mean, all these different things. None of those things um, were, were plotted or thought out in my mind. So I've, so I've got all of these ideas that I've kind of just dropped two lines into um, into the first book, and I now have to think other ways that I can bring those out and, and sort of tease them into the, the, the novel proper, or into a proper novel.
0: And so um, I'm curious too. are, are your uh, do you have plans for more books in the Benicia Chronicles?
1: Yes, yes. So I've written the, um, the eighth one. I'm trying to make sure it's the right one. So for Lord of Land, I think is the eighth one. I, yep. And that's coming out in July, um, this year. So that's already written and edited and everything. Um, and I'm, I'm already contracted to write the next one of, of those as well. So the ninth one, don't know what the title is going to be, but your number eight ends on a bit of a cliffhanger. Um, and that follows a, a character called Bearbrand, Brand. Um, and he starts off as a young man, very much like Hunlaf starts very young, but he starts off as a young man. And he, he, by the time of for Lord and Land, he's like in his late thirties and he's just about to become a grandfather, I think, um, at that point. And, um, and so, you know, he's, he's really grown up, but he's, he's now a, an important warlord and he's, he's embroiled in the different, um, machinations of the kings of, of Northumbria and, and all sorts of other places. And, um, so yeah, there's going to be at least, Two or three more of those, I think. So probably, I th- I'd sort of nominally, I'd say about twelve in that in that series. But I'm not sure exactly the number. <laughs> there are gaps that I could go back and fill in as well if I if I really felt like it.
0: Right. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels? Okay, so and, um, my website
1: is matthewharfy.com. Um Harvey, for anyone listening and hasn't got anything in front of them to read. It's H A R F. F Y. Um and so yeah, Matthew Harvey.com. And I'm on Twitter as Matthew Harvey as well. And Matthew Harvey, author on Facebook. And yeah, all the links are anyway on that, right. that website. So you can find me from from there on Instagram and everything.
0: Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Matthew Harvey, author of the new novel A Time for Swords. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Matthew, thanks for doing this interview.
1: Thanks very much, Jeff. It's been great.